always have to do it. Even when I come in late, I got to do it. Sorry. That's the deal. (laughs) (laughs) That is the funniest thing I've ever heard. All right. So this week on three sides, I can't even, after that, I can't even speak. After, after that, you're, I'm all like, I'm all like shuffled now, Mark. Well, speak properly. This week on Three Sides of the Coin, we are joined by John Jeffrey, who has a super cool interview with Sean Delaney. Um, I learned a few things from it. Um, just as a personal note, I actually met Sean probably late 90s. Um, at a KISS Expo in New York. So it was really cool to hear some of these stories and hear new stories um, as well. So, and I'm mm, mm, good. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin, plus our superstar co-host, Lisa. I was a little late, but sorry. No, you're right here. This is the beginning of the show. Nobody knows you're late. That's true. She's looking extra beautiful. So if you're listening to us, that's your loss. Lisa is the is the Campbell soup of, of co-hosts. She's always mm, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> did you work on that one Jesus. did you just gross oh her God. out <laughs> or did you I'm... just that or was that like was that were you thinking of that for a while oh that dude that, that lisa that is an old pickup line worked great all the time I never heard it, of it, that. It, it, it worked never. at a ted nugent show when he made out with somebody the whole night <laughs> I never heard. I, I was never given that pickup line. So, your so face, you're all red in the face there. <laughs> here, so we're gonna we're gonna actually do some new three sides T-shirts, and I think I just found the Lisa Martini solo T-shirt. It's gonna be oh, a picture nice. of Lisa with mm, 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 mm. good. <laughs> you can put it on a soup can. <laughs> you can be on a soup can with a martini drinking yeah. <laughs> lisa should we should we should we do children's sizes of that shirt so your kids can wear that to school? <laughs> could you imagine going to school my mom is good it should be oh god right out of the gate right out of the gate um so this week we're we're actually doing something new we've never done this before but it turns out to be pretty cool because we can say it's pretty cool because we've already listened to it and recorded the ending of this um i don't know how many months ago we had john jeffrey on as a guest and uh he had a whole bunch of old interviews and he offered us if we wanted to use them and we said sure and he sent us a sean delaney interview from 20 years ago people he interviewed sean delaney back in 2001 um so we're gonna play that interview uninterrupted as it was as he sent it to us and then we're gonna come in after the interview's done 
and John's going to join us, and we're going to talk about the Sean Delaney interview and some of the claims that Sean has made. Um, one of them right off the bat, which keeps circling the internet for years and years and years, of Sean claiming that the back cover of Kiss Alive was not a Kiss concert. Claims that in this interview. He talks about it. We counter that. Um, so I, I would just say, let it roll. This was, I mean, this is fascinating. Yeah. This is Sean Very Delaney, cool. the basically a fifth member of KISS. And he, re, he discusses a lot of great stuff about each of the guys in the band and how they acted and interacted and rock and roll over album cover and the destroyer tour mm -hmm. stage. And I mean, it's some pretty cool stuff here. So let this roll, listen to Sean, and then stick around and listen to all four of us, plus John, discuss it. Let it roll. Want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. For our readers, why don't we start out the interview by uh, just telling everybody how you first got involved with uh, working with KISS. Well, you know, it's strange. It's like in every interview, that's actually the first question that's asked. Okay. Um, and it's always perceived that KISS was a fully functioning show, you know, and sort of I like sort of jumped on board someplace down the line. Right. And... Uh, that is, that is not how everything happened. Okay, well, why don't you tell us how everything happened okay. then? Uh, first off, uh, there was Bill O'Coin and myself, and we were roommates. Right. And uh, there was no such thing as Kiss. Right. Um, Bill was my personal manager. Uh, I was in business with a man named Howard Marks, who later became Kiss's uh, business managers. Right. And then uh, managers and everything. Um in the beginning, Bill and I got these sort of phony baloney uh, press kits from uh, the guys, saying that they had played all kinds of places and they had reviews and stuff with it. And it was all bogus because I'd been playing in several bands that were like big ones in New York City. And I'd never heard of this group. They'd never played at any of the places that I was playing at. So right. um, eventually they sent us a, because Bill had a, television show called Flipside. Right. And so they sent off this, this you know, phony um, press kit to us, and I was looking at it and laughing, and I said, you know, if somebody's gone to this kind of trouble, we ought to go down and see them, and we did. Um, they weren't very good. There was no, nothing that anybody would recognize and go, wow, that's Kiss, uh, at that time. Um, but what they did is they were playing gut-level rock. Right. And um, anyway, Bill and I had a personal friend that actually was a personal friend of mine, and that was Neil Bogart. And we brought a demo tape to them, to him, and um, he passed it on to uh, Kerner and Weiss. 
they were two guys that were, had a band called Dust. Okay. And um, then they, we did, they did an audition for us. At the audition, uh, there was Neil Bogart, myself, uh, Bill O'Coin, and Joyce Biowitz. Uh, the guys got up on this little, it was in a really small rehearsal studio. And uh, they finished playing the first song. And like I always say, I can't remember if it was good. It was just very loud. Right. And at the end of the song, they stopped and nobody applauded. And at that moment, this is when I got involved. Gene Simmons walked down and grabbed Neil Bogart's hands and made him clap. <laughs> and at that point, I realized my part of the whole thing because I've, I'd always been a musician, performer, singer, front, you know, front man for a band. Right. And the rest of everybody in there were the business parasites. And I took on a uh, sort of like a mission at that point to not allow any of these people to hurt these four guys. Right. And uh, I just saw, you know, this intense belief that Gene had by just walking down with no fear and grabbing the president of the record company's hands and making him clap. Right. Uh, shortly after that, those guys, you know, I, I went out and I got roadies. Right. Uh, one guy's name was Peter Orrin Kento. He was the first road crew for KISS, uh, nicknamed Moose, big guy. Okay. And they loaded everything down into um, <clears throat> my loft. I lived underneath a big factory. Right. And uh, at that point, they started rehearsing, and um, they were basically only renting my loft from me. That's, you know, that's my involvement with them at that point. Right. Now, when you seen them at that show, um, what's, uh, what stage were they at as far as, like, with the makeup and... Uh... Um, very minimal. Okay. No movements on stage, no rapping, no... Uh, they didn't look... I mean, they didn't know how to perform. Right. They weren't performing. They were just standing up there basically and playing. In fact, the, uh, the way that they would do it, in fact, a lot of the rock bands in New York uh, that couldn't get to play in major places or in the clubs because disco had hit, and a lot of the rock clubs turned into discos. So what they'd do is a bunch of, about four or five bands would get together and make up flyers, and one week somebody would be the headliner, another week somebody else would be the headliner. Uh, sometimes even the bands would mix up so they'd have enough people to play in different bands. And that's the format that the guys in KISS were playing. Right. Cause at the I, Diplomat I, Hotel. Because I remember hearing some uh, bootlegs of some very early shows, and um, it, was, it was quite odd because, you know, f for you know, KISS for many years, Paul Stanley was the only member of the band who would talk on stage in between songs. And on these you early... With the actual band KISS. I'm sorry? You're talking about after Kiss came out. Right. Right, uh-huh. And there was a reason for that. And I'm the one that stuck that reason into, into a working order. Okay. Paul was the only thing that was closest to looking like human. <laughs> but a monster's going to walk up to a, a microphone and say, you know, from being a big, nasty-ass beast to suddenly going, Hey, everybody, how y'all doing tonight? Right. Monsters don't talk to people. Right. Ace was too spaced out, number one, to talk to people. Plus, when he'd talk, he'd have that weird voice. Hey, Carly, how you doing tonight? You know? <laughs> I mean, what kind of power in that? And then Peter had a your basic speech impediment and sounded like somebody from New York. 
right? <clears throat> Polly had the closest thing to being human on stage, and the makeup that developed developed because of that. If you look at Kiss, here's something that Kiss doesn't even know about. Kiss to this day, uh, what you have in Kiss is first you would have on the right, you would have Gene Simmons, the evil, the dark side. On the left of the stage, you would have Ace Fraley, Cosmo guy, neutral good, the, the embodiment of good. Then you would have Peter Chris on drums, and this was power. Right. So what do you've got on stages? You've got good, evil, power, driving Paul Stanley, the human. Wow. The of the group. And that's why KISS worked. Because each of those personas that they would take on, right? they didn't even know that was their real, those were their demons, each one of them. Gene Simmons, from the very beginning, the guy is incredibly intelligent. Right speaks five or six languages fluently. But uh, there's something in him that cause it, would cause him constantly to try to put everybody else down by using this great intelligence. Right. In fact, when he would come, you know, start trouble with, like, Peter, everybody would go, oh, hush, hush, Marvello speaks. <laughs> uh, now, with, so you have this evilness, and Gene would throw up this demon which was the wall between him and any other human being. Right. Then on the other side of the stage, you have good. You have Ace Fraley. Ace never forget, forgot any of his friends. Ace used to, the, my biggest problem with him is he'd run off to the places he used to hang out at. Right. You know, with, with like nobody there for protection. Not, you know, just totally oblivious to any type of negativity. Um, and that was his inner being was Ace. Peter has a, he always says, I got the idea for the cat from looking at my cat. That's bullshit. Peter's personality is like a cat. Have you ever had a cat? Yeah. Okay, the cat wants to get petted, so it jumps up on your lap. Right. Just about the time you're getting into loving the cat, the cat sticks his tail up and leaves. Right. You know, I've had enough fun. <laughs> right. So Peter, that's where, that's where the cat really came from. His personality. In other words, if, if he needed to be petted, he was your friend. And uh, then you take that and you put it with Paul. Ever since Paul was a little kid, his mom told me this, that he always says, Oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a star. So he just wanted people to like him. He was a fat little kid. Right. He was a little chunkette. And um, so on stage, he was also the most vulnerable. Uh, I can remember the first time he stuck his leg out, you know, in the audience. Um, people grabbed it. Right. And he, the first time he got all upset because guys grabbed it. And I basically took him backstage when the show was over. I said, man, don't you ever pull yourself away like that. It, it's, he said, but guys. I said, no, no. Audiences are not guys. The audience is male and female, and you are not part of it. If you stick your leg out there, you stick it out for the audience, not for, I select you to touch me, or I select you to touch me. Right. You know, the audience is not male or female. It is both. And they all have a right there. Uh, I can remember Paul used to complain constantly about how many photos were being taken of Jane. 
And uh, I told him, I said, you want photos taken of you? He says, yeah. I said, okay, in this show, I want you to go out in the front. And I showed him how to run out and jump down and slide down on his knees up to the edge of the stage. And I said, then stay there. Don't move. Stay there. Lay down on the floor. Whatever you need to do. And if you stay there, people will take pictures of you. Well, the first time he did that, I swear to God, for the next year and a half, he couldn't get the guy off his knees. He was up in the front of the stage getting pictures, 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 pictures. I don't know if I answered your question. No, without a doubt you did, and, and more. So um, so that's pretty much what you're saying as far as, like, the uh, the he-she story. That's, um, well, the he-she story came from me. Uh, what happened was one of the first reviews, it said, and Paul Stanley bimodulates across the stage in a bisexual manner. <laughs> because I would get him, I, he couldn't get from, he's sort of an awkward walker. And I showed him how to do a shuffle to get from point A to point B. Because the whole point of going into characters is once you hit the stage, you cannot come out of character. Right. Because that makes what you're doing all bullshit. Right. See? Uh, so the whole idea was Gene, every, every moment he was up there, he was like walking like a demon. I used to, in rehearsals, stop them if they broke out of character. I mean, I was a ruthless director. I mean, I mean, when I say ruthless, here you got four rock stars with egos up the ass, and I did full battle with them for many years. The only one that could do it. I hear you. Because no. they, they, they knew that, you know, that I really cared and that my entire heart and life was into this show. That's great. That's great that you were, you were so behind them, you know, because uh, if somebody wasn't like you there for them, they wouldn't have been putting on the show that we see today, you know. Abs well, <laughs> I absolutely sounded so humble. But um, as far as, like, the, like I was saying with the KISS show, um, I, from talking to you before, you're telling me there's certain aspects that, that we see from the KISS show still today that were actually ideas you came up with. Could well, you give us some not, examples? It's really, in fact, the um, reunion tours were an absolute proof on what I'm saying. Because the thing is, that sometimes I sound like I'm so defensive, and it's because so many lies were told. Hello? Hello? Yeah, so many lies were told. Right. Well, what happened is in the very beginning, in the very inception of the group and the idea for a show and stuff, I used to get into great arguments with the guys because I'd be down in my, in my big rehearsal loft. It was like a, a big loft under a factory. And uh, they'd be doing something and, you know, playing a song, and I'd sit there and I'd, raise, I'd say, excuse me, hold on a moment. Uh, you know, uh, if you did this musically, it would sound better. And they would look at each other like, who the fuck is this guy? Right. And then they would try it, and it would sound better. Then it got to the point of where I'm sitting there because the bands that I'd been in had been these killer fucking bands with uh, major choreography, and uh, they were pretty hot. And uh, so I started making suggestions on movements. And they, you know, oh, no, that looks stupid. That sounds stupid. And then what I did, because my roommate was Bill O'Coin, who was a television director, I got a television camera, you know, an old video camera, because back right. then it was old. But at the time, it was new. <laughs> and uh, 
I brought it down. I just sat it there. <clears throat> and then the guys would do it their way. And then they would take time, and I would show them what I thought they should be doing. You know, this is choreography-wise. And we would film it. And then they would, we'd all sit down together, and we'd watch their way, and then my way. And my way always won. And the reason it won is because I could see them as an outside, you know, it's, it's, you know like you, you've heard the expression, when you're so close to the forest, you don't see the trees. Right. So from the outside, and knowing what it, you know, the hunger that musicians have, I started steering them and guiding them, doing, you know, showing them how to do different moves and so forth. And then, I, then the, the characters started to actually start to develop, and then I forced characters to stay into their characters. And we used to do rehearsals that were 16 hours long. Wow. Uh, it was not joking around. If you ask any of us what was up, we told you Kiss was. That was it. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so over a period of um, a couple of months, we had this rehearsal going on. And I actually built the first explosions because in the Army, my MOS was demolitions. So I came up with the flash pods and all this kind of stuff for the show and brought in the smoke machines. And then, <coughs> excuse me if I don't die right now. Um, then we brought in Neil Bogart and sat him down in a specially rigged chair and we did our little five song set for him to show what we had been working on, which was absolutely, totally, completely, a hundred billion percent different from what Neil had seen. Right. And then the finale of these five songs, we blew the chair up. <laughs> with I him mean, sitting in it, huh? Him sitting in it. And then he came up with a whole bunch of uh, more money. And um, about a month after that or so, uh, we got an offer to open the show at the Academy of Music in New York. So we did a couple of shows uh, at the Daisy Club, which was a little tiny squiggly dump. In fact, our equipment took up more space than <laughs> almost the club. And uh, then I told, I kept telling Bill, I said, no, no, don't, don't let them know that the Academy Music thing is on. Let, let me have this, let me have this one. So we got to a real sort of like a standstill in a big argument. And I turned around in the middle of the argument, so yeah, guys, well, what the hell are you going to do? this New Year's Eve when we're on opening the show for Academy of Music. And they all stopped. What? What do you mean opening the show? And I had them right there. And from that moment on, we worked our asses off. Wow. But what happened is over the period of years of developing the group, uh, you never saw pictures of me. In fact, you never heard of my name in interviews. Right. And I started getting, you know, sort of pissed. You know, because, damn, I wanted people to know who I was, too. Right. And I'd get this answer from Bill O'Coin. Sean, if they know who you are and what you're doing, the fans are going to turn against these, this, the group. Is that what you want? You want to kill the group? You want to destroy the group? And, of course, my answer was no. Right. So when you go through a bunch of years of taking the credit on certain things and, and your best friend happens to be the truth, what happens, unfortunately, is the people start hating you. Right. Because as they're telling lies, you're standing there. 
It's like, like I mean, one of one of Gene's biggest things to this very day is the blood. Right. I'm the one that came up with the blood idea and put it in my own mouth and showed him how to use it. Showed him how to let it come out a little bit of a time and all that crap. And I invented his bass solo because he, he wasn't a very good bass player. Right. And bass solos are about as boring as you can get. That's so true. So what do you do? So I came up with the just hitting the one notes and looking around like a, a Leviathan standing there and dripping the blood over the audience. And that was his solo. Right. Um, so anyway, over the period of years, it got to the point of where the guys in the group started to look at me and be very uncomfortable because in all of their interviews, yes, and Gene did this, and yes, Paul did this, and yes, and yes, and we're Kiss, and, and uh, even in history, <laughs> or in, in interviews, and Bill O'Coin introduced, introduced the guys to a friend of his, and uh, he showed him a move, and, uh, and it's gone. Right. So I showed him the show, not a move. I hear you. An argument. In fact, one point in my career, my history with Kiss, that should have told me the truth, and it didn't. Was I was down with a group called Stars with a Z at the end. Right. And uh, we were opening the shows for Aerosmith and getting like two and three standing ovations, doing really good. And, and all of a sudden, Bill O'Coin called me back. I mean, I got a phone call. There's a limo out front. They're picking you up. You're at the airport. Don't even argue with me. And I flew back to New York, and we ended up up in Newburgh. And there was a huge uh, airplane hangar. And in the airplane hangar was, in fact, the show that was being built. Uh, the sets that were being built. This was the first show that I wasn't involved with. And I get there, and Neil Bogart's there, and Bill O'Coin is there, and there's about 360 road crew with T-shirts on that say things like, O'Coin sucks, ATI is shit, you know, like little sayings about everything. Wow. And uh, Bill O'Coin and Neil Bogart turned around to me and said, what do we do, Sean? Now, that should have been a clue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't because my They were lost life, without you. My, my whole life was, was to do this stuff. So I told them to get in a limousine to leave, and they did. I walked around to all of the um, road crew, talking to them, because they all knew me. Right. You know, I, I've always been a down-in-the-trenches guy, not somebody sitting in a limousine having a party guy. I knew every part of that show from the beginning to the end. But when I looked up at this stage that was being built, it was crap. It was the worst stage. I, I mean, it, it got so stupid that, oh, Gene's a monster, let's put him in a graveyard. Oh, Ace is a space ace, let's put him in a moon crater. Oh, Polly is a he-she, let's put him in a crystal rock garden. Huh. What, mean, what tour was this for? This was right before the Destroyer tour. Okay. Um, so anyway... I walk on, I walk on to um, talking to all the guys, and they're all pissed. I mean, they are really pissed, and they're showing me how flimsy the set is and how no good it is, and, and how after a few weeks out on the road, they're going to start being blamed for it, being crushed and cracked and no good. Right. And they were right. Then I, the four guys drive up in four separate limousines. We're talking, they're coming from the same city but they're in four separate limos. 
Wow. They also are not talking to each other. They have actually set up their dressing rooms in each corner of the uh, airplane hangar. They're stars. And uh, so I walk around talking to each one of them and telling them how the road crew's feeling. And each one in turn said this exact words. Hey, we're the stars here. If they don't like it, there's the fucking door. We don't need them. So after all four guys said actually that exact sentence, I went up to the stage. And I got up on the stage, and I had them turn on the big PA system. And I got on the microphone, and I said, Okay, I want every road crew and everybody that works for KISS up here now in front of the stage. Stop whatever it is you're doing. Get up here. And everybody did, and there I had this huge crowd in front of me. And I'm on the microphone. Of course, all the guys in KISS can hear this because it's on a big PA system. Right. And I go, okay, I just talked to the four stars, and this is what they told me. They don't need you. If you don't like it, there's the fucking door. And these guys started to walk out. It wasn't a second after they started walking out. Gene hit the stage. What are you doing? What are you doing, man? What are you doing, man? Tell him to come back. Tell him. I said, no, no, no. How about you telling them to come back? Because, see, you don't need them. And Gene got on the mic. Hey, guys, wait. Something's really wrong here. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody stopped and came back. And then I jumped in the middle and rabble-roused it. And I said, then what is it that we hate here? And everybody said the set. I said, well, then why don't we just fucking trash it? And that's what we did. Now, try to imagine the guy that's designing this, this, this million-dollar set is sitting up in this airplane hangar up in the offices that hang from the ceiling. Right. Looking down at over 300 people crushing his set. Oh, my God. After it was crushed, which means that now we don't have any worry about this set because it's demolished. And the guys and kids all joined in on this. What happened, though, was all of these people now were one more time a unit. Right. And see, to do that kind of shit out there, you got to be a unit. Right. Uh, without the road crew, <laughs> the band ain't shit. Without sound men and all of that and riggers and all the stuff that goes into putting on a show, if you don't have those people, what show are you going to put on? That's true. Okay? So back to being a unit, I called up... Um, and also, the guys in KISS hadn't even rehearsed. Had not even rehearsed. And so I thought this was like the first part of their rehearsal that I was being brought in. Well, when I told Bill what had happened, I said, okay, now, how much time we got before the first show? And he says, in two weeks. <laughs> wow. But everything got done. I think we missed the first show um, and went in on, on the, the next one. We were like a week off. Wow. But, um, now, s some other things uh, I remember you had mentioned, I think, at the uh, Philly convention was that uh, you were, uh, I guess, something where, you know, Paul scratches his head on stage. Yeah. You were saying that uh, back in the early days he had real problems with the scalp or well, something. See, when I dyed everybody's hair black, right? Uh, it affected his scalp. Okay. The dye. And so it really made it itch even more. So when... We'd be playing, all of a sudden Paul would be singing or something, he'd reach up and very sheepishly scratch his hair. You know, I'd like try to imagine if somebody was talking to him, suddenly they start scratching the side of their face or underneath their arms. Right. It wasn't like some statement. Right. 
And when I realized that, you know, my God, you know, this stuff starts itching him, it's going to drive him crazy. So, I say, I never ever tried to think of how not to do something. Right. Like, you got to itch, that itch this way. And I jumped out and I, told, I, I literally struck the pose and, you know, scratched my hair, you know, like very, I mean, like, like I was actually fluffing my hair. Right. You know, and then Paul said, I said, now you do it. I said, now, and he did it, it looked great. And I said, anytime you got to scratch your head, scratch it, but scratch it to the back seat. <laughs> I hear you. That's how his uh, scratching thing came about. And also uh, something how Gene wound up putting his uh, hair up in the ponytail on top of his head. Oh, uh, the hair on the ponytail started off when he first started putting makeup on. Right. And he would just pull it up on top of his head and put a uh, rubber band there. Right. And one time, he ran out on stage because they were late. Right. And he let, he used to not have it up there. He used to take it down. But he forgot the rubber band. It was purely by accident. And, um, in fact, his girlfriend, I think her name was Jan, really pretty girl, uh, when he came off stage, she walked up to him and says, I've never been so embarrassed. I look so stupid. And I think it was that point he realized his hair was up on top of his head. Right. And just by the fact that she was so willing to be embarrassed, she was out of his life just in a—I mean—in an instant. Wow. So looking back, um, who would you say you were the closest to in the band? Uh, well, in different uh, situations, for party and party and pal, Peter Chris. Right. Uh, for writing, Paul Stanley and I were always together. Okay, and um, yeah, that's writing, not writing in a limousine, but writing music. <laughs> right, writing together. Right. And um, also, could you tell me about your um, the phony um, back of the Alive album cover? Oh yeah, uh, that wasn't even our show. I think I, in fact, I'm, I don't even remember whose show it was. Uh, we were opening the show. We weren't the headliners. And but kids had started making up these uh, little signs. Right. And we had one of them from the last show we were at, and we just walked on out, got our photographer. I think it was, I think it was Gruen at the time, Bob Gruen. Right. And uh, I had I said, hey, guys, I gave them $20 a piece. Do us a favor. Could you just hold this sign? And they stood up and held the sign out, and here's this huge auditorium filled, maxed out, and we took pictures of it. <laughs> That's great. It wasn't even our show. In fact, that album wasn't even live. Really? Really. All the applause, everything is all, we did it in the studio. Wow, I mean, it's, it's so basically, as far as the live portion, the only thing live was the you drums. Got you got it. Wow. And then it everything else. It was not also. a live album. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm assuming uh, from talking to you, there was a lot of work that you did for Kiss that you weren't credited for. Well, just about everything I've told you so far. Right, but I'm saying also including musically, where like uh, there's yeah. songs that you... you uh, I got a phone call one time from uh, Paul Stanley. He was at Electric Lady Studios, and he said, come down here just right now. So I did, and uh, it was just him in there with guitar and um, a drummer by the name of Richie Fontana. Richie Fontana, um, one of the most talented musicians I ever met in my life. He played drums incredibly well, but what he really played good was guitar.
and he could never become the guitar player in a band because they never could get a good enough drummer, and he'd walk over and show the drummer how to do the drumming, and uh, so it ended up with him just being the drummer, and he was uh, Billy Squire's first drummer. There was Billy Squire's first album I produced, and um, he was the drummer in the band. That's how I met him. Okay. And Richie was there, and uh, Paul had been writing Love Gun. And I came up with the chorus line. I came up with one of the verses. Um, and uh, after the end of it, Paul turns around and says, You know, every time I write something, you know, any time, you know, it's like, I, this is going to be mine. I'm not going to, you're not going to get credit. And everybody was so wealthy then. I said, Fuck you, sure. Whatever. It didn't make no difference. Wow. Because, uh, see, I never, ever realized that the guys in the group were going to turn into such divided assholes. I hear you, know, you. never, You never thought that that would happen. Right. You know, where two of the band members turn against two of the others and systematically go to drive them out of the group. Right. You just wouldn't think that would happen. And in, in the group, the musician-wise, uh, Ace is a true musician. Right. I mean, he is one. The guy invented guitar licks. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. Where the hell did that come from inside you? I don't know. Did you think it was good? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Peter was an actual musician. He played from just love of it, love of playing. And he wasn't even a rock drummer. He was a big band swing drummer. Right. Uh, but that weirdness of his big band swing drumming stuff and uh, up against Ace's guitar, it was, it, that's what made the magic in the sound of Kiss. So uh, w when did you see the breakup happening? I mean, was there a certain oh, point you yeah, could look... Sure, sure. Um, the business... The, see, before KISS, I had a, a company called the Music Department. Right. And where I wrote jingles. In fact, I was considered like the jingle king of New York. And all of my friends were like Paul Schaefer, Luther Vandross, all of these people who are huge stars today. And um, Elliot Randall from Steely Dan and uh, uh, Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers. All, all of the, and Paul, like I said, Paul Shaped from Late Night Letterman. Right. These are my musicians. I would call them up, yes, we're in the studio, da 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 da, and I'd go and do a four or five jingles in a day. And everybody would make some good money, and off we'd go. Um, when the Kiss thing started, uh, my partner was Howard Marks. Right. So Howard was with me before KISS, and when we got involved with KISS, Howard had an advertising agency, so album cover design and stuff like that, I would go in and myself and Dennis Wallach would sit there and then create things, and um, I basically came up with the creation for a rock and roll over album cover. Really? Mm -hmm. Because at that time, albums, when they got put into the bin, the most important part of that album was the top third. Right. That's what people would see. So we designed the album cover so no matter how it was put into that bin, the top third said kiss and rock and roll over. That's great. But um, it, it's, it's just things like that. You know, like Gene will come out and say things like, for instance, that gold mine interview. Right. Which just still to this day pisses me off. Um, Ken Starr had, was talking to me. We were at 
uh, the New York convention. Yeah, New York convention with Richie Rano. Right. And um, he was talking about the first album cover, and I said, oh, you know, it's a little strange thing on that. I actually am the one that did Gene Simmons' makeup on it because at we when we first did the first shoot for the album cover. The record company had gotten for real professional makeup artists, so they could really do what we were the makeup that we were doing, you know. Right. And uh, so, as I'm sitting there, the person who needed the most care during that kind of stuff was Gene Simmons. So I'm standing there next to Gene as they're putting the makeup on, and I'm watching, and it's not good. Right. I mean, it's it's not what we do. And Gene looks at my eyes, and there's this little signal that would always go back and forth between me and him. And uh, he knew something was up bad, and by that time had a great amount of trust in me. So I said, uh, excuse me, but that's really wrong. Do you mind if I change it? And I took the makeup off of his eyes and redid his eyes and everything for the um, album cover shoot. Now, that shouldn't sound like something that would cause somebody to go berserk with it. No. <laughs> because it's the truth. Well, in the Goldmine article, when Ken Starr asked him, he said, Sean is a liar and a user. There's two or three decades that he doesn't really remember what happened. His mind is so warped. And directly after that, he goes, Sean was the first person who actually really believed in us. And he came up with the move and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, on and on, all good things. But once you start off a comment about somebody, that first two lines of print say this is a loser yeah okay that's it's terrible well it's it's like gene is so afraid of letting everybody know that he didn't think of everything yeah that's you know? true and the truth of the matter of fact is nobody can be genius all the time for gene to have turned into gene simmons was a miracle right i mean for these guys to do this show live on stage night after night was incredible I mean, they actually went from these little fat beasties uh, into actually toned athletes. Yeah. You know? Uh, I don't know any four other human beings on the face of this earth that could have gone through what Kiss did. I hear because Kiss, I mean, from the very beginning, it wasn't that they were loved. Right. I mean, I remember bricks being thrown, people running outside trying to catch them so they could beat them up. <laughs> and my big thing was that once we finished the show in the very beginning, we actually ran from, I mean, I got him into the station wagon and drove him off. Right. Fully clothed, dead a winner, sweating, didn't make no difference, get away from being beat up. Um, but we always caused a reaction no matter where we played, no matter who we played in front of. Uh, I actually on one time threw the record company out of the dressing room. Wow. Uh, and the record company at one time uh, we were playing it, I think it was called the Jokers, down in like Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, they had an opening act called Ritual. And Ritual had all of our effects in their show. And so I walked up and I said, excuse me, but you can't use any effects in your show. That's what our show is about. If you want to do your show, go someplace else and do it, but you're not doing it with us. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, that's stupid. Yeah. You know, to have an opening act, do your show. Yeah. And uh, the record company came over and uh, proceeded to tell me that they were interested in this group ritual and they wanted to see their full show. And I told the record company, 
you want to see their full show, then you fucking go get a place they can set up and go watch their fucking show. I mean, I, I, I just would not let any of these people hurt these four guys that I used to affectionately call my babies. Right. I mean, it's like, fuck with them and you've got to come through me. We were saying as far as with the gold mine thing that, that Gene brought up, um, they did another issue in gold mine, and yep. when your name was brought up this time, um, yeah, it was it was all good, positive. Yeah. Except one thing. All it was used was to put Billow Coin down. And, and oh, what? if you want to talk about somebody that helped develop the show, you got to talk about Sean Delaney. Bill had nothing to do with it. Right. Bill didn't have anything to do with the development of the show, but Bill did these amazing record deals. Bill did this amazing business end of everything. And Bill maxed out his credit cards, left his job, and everything else to get to be the... See, there has to be somebody that is the spokesperson. <laughs> I mean, I was a street person. Right. Bill was from the rich Upper East Side, and I was from, you know, the Lower East Side. I mean, as... <laughs> You know, I, I was a street kid. Right. Bill was a Bill was a graduate of universities and all that kind of stuff. And between Bill and myself, we made a third bean. Right. And uh, in those days, there was no such thing as a closed uh, closed door. In our office, it was open door policies because if the door was closed, it meant you were talking about something you didn't want us to hear about. Right. That's why you closed your door. I'd kick the door wide open. Excuse me, what's going on in here? Because. If it was closed, it meant it was something covert going on. Right. Anyway, you asked about seeing the breakup of the band coming. Mm -hmm. The big part, the, the biggest thing that I saw first happening was when suddenly the idea for the four solo albums came out. Right. And I didn't want those four solo albums to happen. Because how can you put four solo albums out and and expect that somebody's going to be a loser. You right. Know, if you have four things going out, that means that each one's going to be criticized. Right. And when you criticize superstars, it's like talking to the center of their soul. Um, so, uh, John, thank you for joining us. This was, this was your, I don't know, long lost, long archived full interview with sean delaney um when yes, how, how did long an excellent ago, job yeah how long ago did you Thank do you. this this was um i don't remember the exact month i wrote it down but it was in 2001 i think maybe december of 2001 okay so so 20 years ago this yeah. was uh an interview that you did with sean delaney um yes let's just let's just sort of for the next half hour 40 minutes let's just kind of round table you know what do we think of this i mean you know first i would add you know other than bill of coin sean delaney is the only other person that man i wish we could have had on three sides i yeah. mean whether you like him believe him or whatever sean was critical to kiss Yes. And I mean, you could say that Bill Coyne was the fifth member of KISS. Sean Delaney would be the sixth member of KISS. So there's mm -hmm. no there's no denying his critical involvement in much of what we take for granted. I would actually Kiss. put Sean, Sean before Bill. 
because Bill yeah. sold the product. Sean helped craft the product, and the band delivered the product. Well, let, let's let's call them both fifth members then. Bill and Sean. Bill, Bill, Bill and Sean as a pair are the fifth members of Kiss, without question. I mean, they're they're co co fifth members, right? Co co fifth <laughs> members. Co writers, co designers, yes. co builders. Um, you know, right. the kid, the Kiss we know and love today would look incredibly different if if sean wasn't ever in the picture yeah so i mean let's start with you john you know 20 years later okay. what do you what do you think of that interview what do you remember what were your feelings as you were listening to that well i mean when we first had talked about you know um you know, doing a, a show, an episode on one of my interviews, I really was starting to, you know, go through all of my interviews and, and starting to think, you know, what, what would be something that's different? I mean, obviously everybody's heard interviews done by all the, you know, band members at some point in time, but I think, um, you know, there's not, as far as I know, there's not tons of Sean Delaney interviews floating around. So, you know, that kind of made me kind of go to that, you know, uh, instinctively to go listen to that. And then listening back to it, first thing I noticed is uh, my voice dropped quite a bit in the past uh, <laughs> 20, 20 years. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and just hearing Sean being such a vivid storyteller it just you know anybody who, who just listened to that interview that we listened to i mean i mean and i think think that's cool is that we're doing this episode you know right just a couple weeks out of the the a and e you know documentary yeah. which you know i know is is gonna you know be delving a lot into you know the original history of the band so i think the, the timing of it just is very cool and uh again you know just hearing sean talk and tell those stories it just it, it creates a very vivid uh picture with his um, with his words and yeah. his give, me, give, give me one second lisa's showing up everybody hey now the show is right. gonna this show is gonna be a hit now that lisa is here lisa is she here? <laughs> Lisa. Lisa. Could be Brian. Boy, I gave you this yes. big build up. And where are you? There we I'm are. Sorry. There we are. The The show is now an instant success. Because I was running Lisa, late. My apologies. Lisa, you look beautiful. Yeah. So we, we, we literally just got started. And John was talking about what he thought listening back to his interview with Sean, an interview he did 20 years ago. It's from 20 years ago. Um, so continue, John, with any of your thoughts, and then we'll start roundtabling it. Oh, again, I mean, you know, overall, you know, just to hear the stories coming from a different perspective. And again, you know, everybody's open and entitled to take, you know, Sean's stories, you know, if you want to put full faith into them or take them as a grain of salt. I mean, that's everybody's own perspective as far as what they want to believe. But, um, 
you know, for me, I think most of the stories that he went through, except for the Cobo Hall story about, you know, the back of the alive album cover being, you know, taking at a different concert, which, you know, it basically has been totally disproven at this point. I mean, pretty much everything else, all the other stories that he told, they, they seem, you know, completely plausible um especially the story that he told about how he got when he left the band uh, it must have been the end of 75 or beginning of 76 and then came back for the beginning of the destroyer tour and he was talking about how you know they hated the staging and the band sean the crew all destroyed a lot of that original destroyer staging that completely makes sense because you only see some of those stage props in very early footage in the tour and then they're all gone like the the, the mountain and the castle and some of those effects in the first you know parts of the tour you don't see them in you know some of the later pictures and footage yeah, you know what I overall one of the things I found fascinating listening to Sean was yes, great storyteller. Um, you know, again, you could question the accuracy of some of the things, but seems to have a have a very good memory and more than anything very strong in his opinions and his beliefs. He he wasn't afraid to say what he thought. He wasn't there to kiss ass of the band you know which is which is refreshing i thought yeah, yeah. Well, I, one of the problems though that i just have overall with it meaning the the interview you did and it was obviously nothing to do with what you did or even what sean said i was thinking about it and um much like the um the uh the a and e thing um, the reason I'm bringing that up is the producers of that show called me, oh, this was shit last summer. And I don't know, John, if, if anyone, well, no, no, hear me out. You know, <laughs> the, if you think about it, there was no video interviews of just Peter Chris back in the seventies. Think about it. Yeah. Well, they, that's one of the things they call, they're like, do you know of any? And I'm like, you know, there's, you know, the circus there, there's a couple, you know, solo interviews magazine wise, but there's no, uh, you know, think about when they did the solo records, you know, there's video of, of, of Gene and Paul doing their, you know, interviews and there's pictures of Ace. There was no, at least I don't remember any, time peter put his makeup on was interviewed for his solo record maybe and, part of that was like was that car accident well the reason i bring it up like that and i'm phrasing it like that is this there's nothing to compare and contrast it to sean was silent really up until the conventions what, early right. 2000s yes i wish i wish we would have had a document of him being interviewed in the 70s as a guy behind the scenes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about on video or even in the early 80s, uh, you know, where he could compare and contrast the band he helped shape to, you know, what they became in the 80s. But there's nothing, you know? 
And I think as a KISS fan, that's pretty fascinating because, you know, once you watch or excuse me, once you listen to um, John's interview with Sean, there's times where I, I think he does come off bitter. And I wonder, and if you remember, you know, he, he talks about Bill O'Coin kind of browbeating him, telling him, you know, don't, you know, that, 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 you know, John, that this, the part where he said he made Gene get up and, you know, talk down to the road crew, you know what I mean? And um, I, how did you, you know, John, you were the one doing the interview that, that section right. to me, how I, I, that that just didn't feel like it happened to me. Uh, what what we, what is your take on that? Where he, you said he made Gene, you know, browbeat, you know, uh, basically, um, or he I should say he was browbeating Gene to kind of apologize to the crew and that sort of thing. What what did you what is your take on that? Because I thought that was well, I, I, yeah, I didn't take it as as he was making Gene do anything. It, it sounded to me is that according to him, again, this is Sean's perspective of that time when he had left the band and then came back right at the beginning of the Destroyer tour. Um, the way he was describing is just that the band were not getting along at all and they just had really horrible attitudes and you know the road crew wasn't happy with the you know the all the additional staging that they had to take care of and everything and uh you know and and he was saying that you know if the road crew doesn't like it then they can fucking leave and so he felt uh by you know announcing that to the road crew that he would get the reaction that he claimed that he got and that the, once the road crew heard that the band was saying if they want to leave they can leave and they were going to that it would get gene to get on the mic and say no 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 don't leave we need you guys and kind of created this camaraderie this this reconnection between you know because it was really tight with their original road it's not mm -hmm. like today where like literally the people that work with them could be you know interchangeable today tomorrow they could have you know multiple different crews every city they play they had a really hardcore group of people that worked for them in the beginning so it seemed like what he was stating was that he got them to reconnect with the road crew and they all did that by you know destroying some of those early props that they had in the original destroyer stage. That's, you know, that's I, what I, I, took I, I could, I could imagine that event happening, but Mark, to your point, and I get what you're saying. And, and basically it's, it's unfortunate that we don't have anybody we can really reach out to at this point to well, co Michael, corroborate I, any of this. I mean, you couldn't even go to Bill a coin and say, Bill, do you remember this? You know, Mike, Michael. Here's the re here's the reason I brought that up. Here's the second part. We know from John Watkins, and Sean was around in '79. We know from John Watkins that they, you know, he Gene was notorious for he would call you know he wouldn't even call people by their names. Right. He'd, he'd call them lights or sound or you know what I mean. And my point is this. Here's the reason I call bullshit on that story is this is literally three years later. If, if 
if Sean was so, so virtuous, and I'm not trying to, you know, poo-poo on the guy, he, he accomplished what he did. Without him, there would be no case. I get all that. But what happened to his virtues between 76 and 79? Because we know from somebody who was there, like I said, our friend John um, Watkins was there. He told the stories how shitty specifically Gene was towards the road crew. Well, if, if that was, why wouldn't he make them do that in 79? Well, the only thing I could imagine is, again, let's go back to past guests that we've had. 76 is basically when Kiss changed. That's when success hit them, money hit them. That's when the old original road crew and family was basically shown the door and it became a business operation. So maybe Gene hadn't quite fully settled into that that yet, which he was acting like in 79. And, you know, maybe he, he, he wasn't that, I don't want to, outgoing is not necessarily the right word, but boisterous or whatever in 76 that he would he would go up there and just say it himself directly to the crew maybe he needed sean to call him out on it because again 76 was a huge year of change for the band everything was changing for them you could argue whether it was a good or a bad change but you know that's when they really became super kiss well i thought the rot started more in 78 right after japan well i i think it really got rotten then but i think we know i mean look you know beth was the reason that kiss was able to go tour japan here's why i'm being a jerk about the timeline beth wasn't a hit yet that tour didn't start till right after though they got back from the the destroyer tour is extremely short short no i get it extremely short beth wasn't released as a single i don't think till John, can somebody help me here? Was it right around end of summer? When was Beth released? My point is it it that ascent didn't start. I, I no, I, I I get what you're saying, but well, I think you could say it started, but the ascent they, they hadn't hit their real peak yet, but it had started as Kiss as a business was I mean, look, let's just look at that destroyer tour. They went out and hired a Broadway producer to build that stage that wasn't going to happen a year earlier no way would that have happened a year earlier there was no money to do that a year earlier so things had really started to change in the kiss band the dynamic among amongst the members amongst the crew with the band everything was starting to become much more worse i mean what wasn't didn't john basically say these guys were full-out stars. They thought they were the stars now. Yeah, he said that his, I believe his quote was, they became four divided assholes. I yeah. believe that's so, right, his exact word. I, I, so. I, again, I could, I, could, I could imagine that happening. Again, you got, we got to take everything Sean says with a grain of salt because at the very he, end, sure. we, we know he I, I just out, Googled lied that. about just, the alive. It, it wasn't, I, you know, August of 76 is when Beth started its ascent. 
Okay. So, but it, but in all fairness, also though to to Sean, I thought it was really interesting how he was honest and said, "Look, I wanted people to know who I was." I mean, I can see where some of the bitterness would creeping in because he came up with these ideas supposedly, and he 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 was such an integral part. Like we just said, he's number five of five, you know, band members, and it just seems to me that that was probably where some of the bitterness came from. This is he wanted people to know who he was. You know, Mark, yeah, Mark, disagree with yeah. Mark back, back to your point about Peter Chris interviews, as you were saying that, it got me thinking, yeah. you know, remember there was that little segment where he talked about how, you know, each guy's personality when it came to talking and like, you know, we've got Gene, this demon, we can't have him just going out there and just casually talking to people. A demon doesn't do that. And then you got Peter Chris, who's got that New York attitude, you know, we don't, we didn't want, you know, I wonder if that's also what might've played into well, that. I, I, they're, think they're, coin, they're like, I think a coin purposefully kept Peter away from the microphone to talk for long interviews. I think there's a reason Gene and Paul didn't, they were both a lot more articulate. And I, that's not a put down. That's, you know, and, and, the, and really the same thing goes for Ace. They, Ace didn't do a ton either. Oh no, I mean, every band is all about, you find the, the person in the band or the couple people in the band who can give the best interviews, who've got the great personality to go to, to, to captivate people. And, uh, you know, I, I've always said, you know, just from my standpoint as a fan, when I heard Gene Simmons in, in makeup have a casual conversation, it blew my mind. It's like, whoa, wait a second. This guy sounds like a banker and he's dressed like a demon. He's got to shut his mouth. That's, you know, I want him to growl. Paul works out great because he's a rock star. And I could, I could understand why there would have been concern about Peter speaking. It's just like, you know, right. and, and, and back then we didn't know this. We know this now. Peter obviously has always had that very short temper fuse, very aggressive. I mean, that's not what you want with somebody giving an interview because they could blow up in the middle of an interview and really make things bad. You know, the funny you part is the earliest, the earliest Peter Chris interview on video I could find where it was just Peter was after he left the band, um, the Tom right. Snyder. Tom Snyder. Is, does, is anybody else, I mean, I, although I think I asked you guys at the time, did any, does anyone else remember a, a where Peter sat down during, alone. alone from 73 to 79? I don't. Well, there's, a, there's, a home, there's a homework question. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking with the band. I'm not talking with another band member. I'm talking a one-on-one -on -one interview with peter chris on video in wasn't the 70s was there an interview where he where he left the band but he wasn't allowed to show his face yet so he did that one interview i forget who it was with it was some female and his the whole interview was his back remember that one yeah yeah yeah. i i do but again that was post him leaving the band exactly not, that, that's but not was, him in, in makeup it wasn't, it wasn't like the the tom uh the tom schneider one where he was I no, I, I know exactly Lisa you know? what you're talking about, but but they specifically wanted something like during the Dynasty tour, no, or Love Gun tour, or Rock and Roll over, or, or you know, there's nothing of him by himself. The only thing that I don't, you know, there's the the little part of the the the, the thing here in Detroit where 
he talks about Beth and being a writer and, you know, that was on uh, uh, the Channel 4 thing here in Detroit. But really, you know, they kept him away from the microphone, um, generally speaking. Well, yeah. well, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to bring up something um, as far as the, the time frame we're talking about. I, I think if we go back and we look at Peter's book, we'd have to check the timeline. But I think as far as their, you know, if you go back and you look at the history of the band, most of their televised interviews were always the four band members yeah. together. Yeah. We didn't start seeing any separate interviews until the solo album period. Now you have to remember, if we look at the timeline, it's very possible when Peter Chris was sent into rehab, that could have been right after his solo album came out before Dynasty. He was in rehab. So that could have been that time frame that he wasn't available to do interviews because he was in rehab during that time. So that's that just goes again, you know, they've always known Peter's the 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 short temper in that band of four original guys. Every they they've always right. known from the beginning. We may not have known it as fans, but you know, somebody in that band said, eh, we got to keep Peter off of the microphone alone. We can't, you know, he could, he could sit in the Tom Schneider interview with all four of us, but right. we can't just give him the microphone because you just don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what condition he's going to be in. You didn't know what he was going to say. You didn't know what the questions might be that might set him off, you know, and, and, Somebody might say, well, what about Ace? Well, Ace was always, in my opinion, much more laid back. Not a lot would set Ace off. I mean, he might be just loose and drunk and out of it. But, I mean, do you really recall Ace ever doing an interview where he got aggressive and angry and mean? No. He just got silly. He got silly. Yeah. He be he became a silly drunk, uh -huh. not an angry drunk. Boy, I tell you what, then you know, getting back to, to Sean, what what a how sad is it that something like this E A and E thing is being done without Bill uh, without him and without Sean. Yeah. Because they would have you know, we don't know because we weren't there. Um don't get me wrong. I, I think it's gonna be in, in well, what what we've seen, we know it's gonna be incredibly well done. But I'm telling you, Sean and, and Bill would have had, they, they were needed for this. And unfortunately, they're not here to, to share their, I, you know, their I, part I, of the I, story. I, I agree. I mean, you know, like I said before, we don't have anybody who can counter any statements made by Sean or anybody else. I mean, uh, you know, maybe Big John Hart, maybe Rick Stewart. May, yeah, maybe. But, but even there, you know, are we getting to the point where memory is starting to fail and you know get foggy and stuff like well, that even sean said that moose was the first one they hired they hired he goes way back way yep. back yeah you know one of one of the things before we get to the alive cover um one of the things i didn't know and i found very interesting and made sense to me was his comment about the rock and roll over cover on how yeah. the rock and roll over cover you know, he's sitting there he's like, okay, when you're looking in a record bin, all you see is the very top. We wanted to make sure no matter how that record was put in, you could see Kiss. You could see this album. And I was like, 
well, that makes sense. That's pretty smart, actually. And then when you look at the design of the cover, yeah, it sure does. It works no matter how you put it in there. Yeah. So the um, the the back cover of Alive. I mean, this has sort of been going around. It still it still goes around in the fan circles every year. It seems like once a year, some Facebook page, some group, somebody emails us a question. I heard that the back cover of Kiss Alive was a fake photo. It wasn't a Kiss concert. It was a Styx concert. It was a Rush concert. And, and you know, in this interview, Sean states with his full, you know, you could say he fully believes it, it wasn't true, that that, that wasn't a Kiss concert. Now, I mean, Mark, you've got more than one photo evidence that kind of full roll of photos. it's a hundred percent let's just before we get into it let's just end it that was a kiss concert people sean yes, yes. mistaken why he was mistaken we'll never know because we'll never be able to ask him but he was wrong in that that was a kiss concert and, and i want to a lot some people be, that has actually happened in rock lore um, because I've heard people confuse the, the kiss sticks thing with what actually happened. The band rainbow on the inside of long live rock and roll. There's a couple fans holding a poster that says long live rock and roll. That is actually fans at a rush concert. It's very famous. If you, if you want to Google it, you could easily found online and you can see where the, they blacked out the, the rush shirts. You know, they just kept the kids like in dark shirts and for the long live rock and roll. So that has happened, but not kiss because I've, I've, I've got into not arguments, discussions with people are like, Oh no, I know it was a, what and I'm like, no, you're, you're thinking about the rush rainbow one. This is, this is not it. And again, you know, there's multiple, I've got tons of photo evidence that it's from May of, 1975. Well, so. you know what? I have a question to that is when I listened to it, and maybe I heard it incorrectly, he said that he said it wasn't a kiss show. And then he came back and said, we didn't headline. We weren't the headliners. So maybe, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I have to listen again, but it almost seemed like he wasn't saying it wasn't our show, meaning it wasn't a kiss headlining show. But, but, to, but to that, that point, was May 16th, 1975. Yeah. To that point, Lisa, I mean, a, a lot of the rumors that I've heard people say was, oh, it's a sticks concert. Kiss never opened for sticks. Yeah. I never sticks, heard the sticks open for kiss, mm -hmm. um, you know, or somebody might say, well, it was a rush concert. Okay. Rush opened for kiss as well. Kiss didn't open for rush. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at that point in time was, and I don't know, you know, we'd have to go look at some tour itineraries online, was KISS in 1975 touring, doing any shows anywhere where they were the opener for a major band that was going to sell out an arena? I don't know. They only did a few that. openers after that because they opened for, I think, Black Sabbath on the Alive tour towards the end. Um, but well, my, he, my point is that picture Bob was Gruen. taken long before that. He yeah. said Bob Gruen took that picture. I thought it, I didn't, 
again, I don't know this. That's what he said. He said, Bob. No, no, he, that's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. Yes. Are you looking it up, Lisa? I am, but I'm not finding too much. I'm just peddling. You know, to, 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 you know, just to play devil's advocate again, it could have been a situation where at one point they did do that to you know have their butts covered to make sure that they had an impressive photo and Sean didn't realize or didn't remember correctly that they did actually use the photo from Cobo Hall and not one where they took photos at another venue you know he he it, it could have happened but he was just incorrect in the fact that what finally got used was actually a photograph from Cobo Hall. And, that is and, the possibility. And to to your to your point, John. I mean, before we hit the record button, we were talking about it's quite possible that at some point, either within the record label or management, there was a discussion of okay, we 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 we'd love to have this back photo, huge crowd. And maybe they were like, well, we're not sure if Kiss is going to have a huge crowd anywhere in time for us to put the, the artwork together. Maybe we go borrow somebody else's crowd. I mean, completely reasonable to think that it was at least discussed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always interesting, too, like, 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 like the story of, uh, you know, the whole Sports Illustrated thing and, and the Kiss comic book about yeah. the blood, you know, whether it actually made into the comic book or into Sports Illustrated, you know what I'm saying? Like, do we know? Has it ever been confirmed? Is it, in fact, in Sports Illustrated or did it go into the comic book? It, it all depends on who you believe, you'd have, I guess, you'd have, right? to, you'd have to get the Sports Illustrated cover and run a DNA test. Right. <laughs> hey, John, because that, what did that start? Because the first time I ever heard that was probably in the early 90s. When when was the first time you heard that rumor about the, the blood mix-up? Because that kind of came out of um, the field. Yeah, I, I think it was when Bill started doing the uh, convention circuit and then he started, you know, he was the one that was bringing that up um, as far as, you know, the, the mix up at the at the printing plant that they put it into the wrong, you know, the wrong vat for the wrong book. I mean, I even see if you go on eBay, they're selling that whatever edition of sports illustrator they claim that the kiss blood is in they're selling that edition saying this is the sports illustrator that has the kiss blood in it that it's not in the comic book you know yeah i always just thought that was a weird story because it I, I especially at the time like i said i think in my timeline i think it was early 90s um that i first heard that i'm like where in the hell did this come from you know it's, although it's it, it's kind of funny that all these stories are out there because that's what Kiss has always been. Those great folklore stories. I mean, all the way back to, hey, it's not Gene Simmons' tongue. It's a cow's tongue that he had sewn on. I mean, that's what Kiss has always been is these crazy stories. Well, I mean, even or, or even other things they kept under the hat, like Bob Kulik's involvement on Alive too. I didn't know that yeah. wasn't him until many years later. I mean, boy, they kept that hush hush. 
Or look at the original ads, you know, when they, they say the original ads where they found Peter and Ace and they weren't in the exact magazines that they oh, said. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. weren't the exact phrases. It didn't say flash and balls. It said something like flash and ability. And yeah. I don't think Peter said drummer willing to do anything. Yeah. It, it was something drummer with X amount of experience. And it wasn't, I think it wasn't in Rolling Stone. It was in like the village voice or something like that. I mean, I mean that's, it's just, just funny, like those stories that the band told repeatedly were completely incorrect. Well, you know, that just, stories that just goes to prove how what starts as a real, real event, a, you know, the real ad, as it's told over and over by this person to that person to that person, you know, what's that, what's that old game you used to play? Telephone, as a kid? Game. telephone the telephone game. Yeah. You know, by the time right. it gets to the last person years later, it's completely changed, which, you know, again, maybe that back cover started out as there was a legitimate meeting between the management and, and the record label to discuss a back cover and do we do this? And somehow over time, it, it grew into, it didn't happen. It's not a Kiss concert. I know it. It's like, you know, maybe there's a... a, a uh, a fraction of a truth to this, but it's gotten so twisted over the years that Sean ended up believing it. Yeah, I guess we'd have to ask Bob Gruen, right? Ask Bob if he ever, yeah. you know, went and photographed another, you know, venue for a potential, you know, back cover for a live or, you know, anything aside from what, you know, what was. Mark was Bob Gruen the actual photographer for the for the Cobo Hall um, photograph? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, well, you have all these damn photographs. You I don't know, know who took them. Wasn't that? Yeah. Come on. Wasn't that chips? Get after him, John. I don't. I we'll don't we'll find we'll find out. Mark's putting together a book. If you'd like to pre-order it now, it'll be available in about six years. <laughs> Um, it's I think that's some sort of magic we're talking about now. Yeah, Mark, is that Mark, some sort of magic we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> the mat. It's a magic trick if I ever heard one. Oh, um, Send you know, me your let, money and see what you get. Let's 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 also keep in mind that at the time of this interview and when 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 Sean was doing these conventions. He, you know, he'd become kind of bitter. Yeah. It, you know, bitter, maybe even angry. I mean, he he had battled his own demons at that point in time. So, you know, there might be things that he was saying that were being said to get revenge, to 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 you know, get back at the band, to to make up for the fact that he was never given the spotlight and the credit during the heyday that he was due. I mean, all of that could play into this. And, and again, I, I'm not diminishing Sean's importance to cast uh, people. Finn Costello. Finn okay. Costello. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, keep, keep that in mind as you listen to this, because there's been reports from fans who, you know, 
sat at a, a, a Sean Q and a at an expo and, you know, I've seen people where it's like, man, you know, he came off kind of bitter and, and attacking Gene and Paul and, so, well, you, you got to remember the time frame, though, Mike, w when he was talking about in the interview, there was those two series of goldmine interviews that Gene did. And the first one he referenced was the one when they asked if Sean redid Gene's makeup for the yes. cover of the first Kiss album. And we know that that is true. But for whatever reason, at that time, Gene went on this rampage of saying there's decades that, you know, Sean's a user, there's decades that he doesn't remember. And then the second, you know, interview was he was being complimentary about Sean, but then he was throwing Bill under the bus. So I think it was just kind of bothering him that, you know, for all these years, you know, Sean went along with, with the, you know, with the company line of, you know, not doing interviews, not talking about his participation, not taking credit for things he claims that he did and wasn't credited for. And he went along with it. And then here they are finally, you know, talking about, you know, history per se, and which obviously Sean and Bill were a big part of. And then when they're starting to talk about what they did actually do, it seemed that Gene was being very defensive in his stance as far as you know wanting to take claim for you know basically they did everything and i mean you even have that with you know look at the whole logo thing you know like paul and ace you know it's like you know you have that thing about you know well who designed the logo you know and then it's like well ace came up with it but paul refined it you know what i'm saying and there's always been this kind of thing where you know uh gene and paul have wanted to really you know take full responsibility there, for their there, own success there's, there's been ways. this yeah. revisionist history that's always existed in the kiss world i mean if you're a lifelong kiss fan it's nothing new to you and and frankly no. it, it shouldn't shock you and uh, I'll, I'll even say it's not unique to kiss Every major no. band has revisionist <laughs> histories of who did what and who was more important and who gets credit. Just ask Bill Starkey. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, th this is all stuff, because I, I know, John, you've got to leave in, in about five minutes here. This is stuff. Keep all of this in mind as you listened to that interview with sean it was great i loved it it was a fascinating mm -hmm. interview and 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 again man i would have wished i mean yeah there was sort of a pseudo half-assed sean delaney book that was released but boy wouldn't it have been great to get a full-blown real sean delaney memoir of his time with kiss because he has the ability to fill in and connect a lot of dots between the other four guys in the band and their versions of everything. And, and think and think and remember, um, uh, God, the, the label boss, uh, uh, Bogart. Neil Bogart, all those, those three specifically, the fact that we don't have them now to tell the full story is forever lost to history. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what's missing here, whether it's, you know, Neil Bogart had given the opportunity to come out and counter something 
Gene and Paul say about getting signed to Casablanca. Well, no, Neil remembers it this way. Now, granted, neither of them might be 100% accurate, but it's sort of like when you take all four of the original guys' biographies, the truth is a mixture amongst all of them. Yeah, it's lays, lays somewhere in the middle. Yeah, so you got to lay all this information in and, and think about it on your own. Don't just take one guy as the blatant truth and everybody else as a blatant lie. It's somewhere in the middle here. And Sean, boy, Sean's got a lot of information that he could have he could have revealed more than I think we even know at this point in time. I mean, we now know without question how important he was and what what he did for this band, you know, is whether it was getting them all to dye their hair the same color and stage moves and spitting blood and breathing fire, all of that. I mean, I don't think any of that would have existed without him. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, because years later, you know, it's kind of, it seemed, I don't know, as, as Gene has gotten older, it seems like he's, become more kinder in the way that he's he's you know talked about both sean and bill and it seems like the more he's talked about them the more he's given bill and sean credit for the things that they claim that that they did and i remember one funny interview was an interview with ace and uh he was asking about how why Gene was upset because I guess Gene said, "Well, Sean makes us sound like we were just a bunch of robots," and Ace is like, "We were," <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and and so Ace was totally, you know, backing Sean's version of the way that he described things happen. So as far as you know, you know, again, like what you want to believe or you know how much you want to, you know how much stock you want to put into Sean's stories, you know, Ace has always really backed most of what Sean has said. And of course, you know, Gene and Paul have always wanted to kind of fly that flag that they were the be all end all direction and guidance and leadership and took kiss from the beginning to where they are now with minimal assistance, you know, you know, Ace, you know, he, he's very open as far well, as, you know, and his, I, you know. I think as KISS fans, you, you, you can be honest. If you look at the early, very early, early black and white footage of KISS, you know, pre Sean and Bill becoming officially involved, it was pretty rude, pretty rough, pretty, you know, it, it was more New York dolls than it was KISS, yeah. much more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, once they got involved, you could almost see the the timeline speeding up. Of okay, we're refining this. You're 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 becoming the four Beatles. You're getting better makeup. We got to do stage. You know, all of a sudden things started happening. Well, well, how about the one quick listen to the Daisy bootleg? Because yeah. Yeah. Peter's talking. You know, I mean, you could really see where like, no, you don't talk. No, you don't talk. You talk. I, I remember why when I watched that, I was floored because I was like, wait a second. Peter's behind the drum kit and he's doing the interactions with the crowd. I mean, I was even like, he was like, yeah, you know, go sign up for our mailing list. And I'm yeah. just like, I'm like, that's cool that back then they were asking people to join a mailing list. 
but it was Peter because as we know, you know, quickly it became all of the audience interaction was Paul and a little bit of Gene, but it, you know, you could see somebody came involved and said, we got to change this. You can't have a guy who's behind the drum kit interacting with the audience because people are going to be like, who's talking? We can't see him talking back there. So, yeah, I mean, go back and look at very early footage of, of Kiss and you can, you can see how they evolved and became more polished and more professional. They surrounded themselves with a great team of people. No question. From Bill and Sean and the original road crew, they had a great team that was out there making them look like stars. Okay. And I just want to, I want to say as far as, you know, after listening to this interview with you guys and, and, you know, thinking again, going back 20 years of my mind and talking to him and hearing it again, I'd have to say the thing that really, really like gives me like chills is when he really goes into the simple philosophy of what kiss is the original kiss the way that if you look at the way they're even set up on stage you know stage right you have gene simmons evil incarnate you know i'm saying stage left ace freely you know good so you have good and evil and then you have paul you know this human being rock star with Peter Chris in the back being the power that drives the whole thing that is Kiss. And the way that he was able to see that in, in a philosophical, you know, type way, you know, and, and and just that that just blew my mind when he when he just kind of broke it down like that. That yeah. that gave me chills. And even and, hearing it back again twenty years, I was and, just like and, and he's to see, spot to, on. see to see that nearly fifty years later he was right. It works. I mean, could you imagine it any different? You know? No. No. I mean, the fact that back then, again, nearly 50 years ago, Sean Delaney was thinking of these things. And it wasn't just off the cuff. Oh, it'd be kind of cool if you did this. He was like, no, this is how it's got to be. We got to do this, this, move here, do this, act this way. Don't say that, Paul, don't freak out when some guy grabs your leg when you're sticking it out in the audience right yeah amazing when you think about it absolutely amazing i agree john i i know you got to run now um thank you so much for sharing the interview joining us outstanding job listen the offer is always open if you want to share any other old interviews you've done even with band members we'll be yeah i mean i got i got tons of stuff i can go through it you know maybe you guys think about you know if there's a you know particular era that you'd like to hear an interview from from a particular member um you know i mean i have interviews like when eric singer first joined kiss i have interviews when you know he first joined the band. maybe that would be a good one i have one of the first interviews i did with eric when he rejoined kiss in 2001 
and wore the makeup for the first time. And it was like right after it happened. So maybe with the whole, Let's you know, off the soundboard thing, maybe I can dig that one out and uh, we could listen to that and, you know, kind of, you know, with, with what's going on, that, that might be a cool, you know, one to do. Yeah, that sounds like dig, a great dig idea. It, dig it out mm -hmm. and send it over. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. All right. I hope you guys all enjoy it. And I hope, you know, all the fans out there who listen to this, I hope you guys all enjoy it too. Cause I'm, I'm just a fan like everybody else. So again, you know, going back and hearing something that I did 20 years ago and, you know, still being excited about it, it still resonates that I am still a kiss fan and, uh, you know, and I enjoy spending time with all you guys and appreciate you guys listening to, you know, what I did, you know, 20 years ago. And before you leave, John, how about one more quick plug yes. for uh, your sure. CD? Yeah, um, the, the album that we recorded for charity, the Kiss Tribute album, Buffalo Rock City. You can go to www.buffalorockcity.com for all the information um, about the record. Um, we just recently released um, a video for Back on the Streets, uh, which is, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's. I thought the video came out great. It has the mm -hmm. modern band in the video, and then there's a flash band sequence to, uh, you know, what if Vinny had done a video for the song back in the 80s so if you haven't seen it it's a pretty cool inter uh pretty cool video and i think you guys would dig it awesome cool oh do you have some shows too coming up don't you plug your shows um yeah um we have uh, we're playing um some shows here in buffalo um there's a big outdoor concert series we're playing called the uh gateway uh concert series and that's actually coming up um in tonawanda new york and that is wednesday june 23rd and then we're playing um another it's a big fourth of july gala that they have in uh, the rochester new york area it's actually um called the jam at the ridge and they have a bunch of other um national bands that are playing like blue oyster cult and they have a bunch of uh you know uh country artists playing and then they thought it'd be cool to fit in a kiss tribute band in between you know these national bands so we're doing that and then we have a show in binghamton coming up in this place called the cave on uh, august 14th so those are our our bigger shows that we have coming up so i'm excited you know with covid and everything not being yeah. able to play and yeah. everything opening back up you know i mean i'm i'm just totally psyched to go out there and uh you know pay homage to my favorite band Awesome. Well, if you're in the tri-state area, guys, get out and support them. No doubt. Always welcome here, uh, John. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, your kindness and sharing your archive, and you're always welcome here. Thank you so much, guys. You guys put on a, a great show. I love it. It's so entertaining. And uh, like I said, maybe we'll do the next one. We'll do, uh, you know, the Eric Singer interview when he first rejoined KISS in 2001. And, uh, you know, we can uh, – check out the uh, off the soundboard and kind of compare notes how everything happened with that and i think it might be fun yeah there Love you go. let's Agreed. do it all right. all right take care take care john bye john, Thanks, john. all right bye-bye thank you thank you and okay so we're gonna finish wrapping up our stuff now okay awesome and, and i'll send you links when this goes live next week Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, I only, it only takes me about 15 minutes to get to the studio. So I just, you know, 
wanted i don't want to be late so i got more than enough i'll get there in time so no it doesn't problem. matter that we want yeah. okay great all Thank right you. thanks guys take care right, cool. thanks john all right take care all right bye-bye bye um so that was that i mean that was so much fun that was a you know, when we first had John on, he suggested the idea of using some of his old interviews, and I'm glad we did it. That was very cool mm -hmm. to listen to a, a Sean Delaney interview. Um, Homework-wise, you know, what did you think of Sean? You know, have you ever ever listened to an interview with him? Did you ever see him at an expo? Um, you know, what's your take on his his memory of the back cover of Kiss Alive. You know, anything you found especially interesting yeah. or learned? Yeah, what stood out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know where to go to leave your uh, homework questions anywhere we are on social media or on YouTube. And uh, of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes. And of course, you can find us on Twitch and everywhere else as well. Where? Um, we in Bedrock. <laughs> Twitch, Twitch. Sorry, I love that. <laughs> um, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.